Hey everybody, how you doing? Shrugby in the Mooney, episode 70. Uh, we're recording on October 3rd, 2021. Uh, hasn't been a lot, a lot of good uh, Sundays for uh, Giant fans and you know Yankee fans and everything. Um, but we had a nice little, uh, nice little treat today. The football guides treated uh, treated us right. I walked around proudly earlier, getting the getting the papers from my mom, and uh, people were like, "Hey, your team won! Yeah, how you doing?" I'm like, "Yep." And then the Jets won too. Good for them. Uh, but yeah, we're not gonna be like, sports heavy as usual, you know. But I just wanted to bring that up because uh, it's a nice little uh, reprieve from uh, just a lot of stuff. Um, sure, like ups and downs, like motions with the sports. But the Giants, I thought it was going to be uh, third week, third game in a row with uh, field goal, last minute field goal. I was like, all right, it's over. But like I was, you know, I was like watching the game, and I'm like, you know, pensive, and I'm like, all right, here we go. Um, but I like the. Uh, it seemed very promising, um, and that's a good thing. That's a thing where you can be like, all right, things can turn around sometimes, you know. But uh, how are you feeling today after our uh, nice little Sunday New York sports Giants Yankees day? Oh, it was cool. The you know start off, you know we're starting off one and three, seventeen games in a season. So um, for some reason, I, I feel they added one game, and it feels like they added like five more games. So we've got one win. The Cowboys have three. Every other team and. The NFC East has one win. Um, they also have another wild card team, which started last year. So it's just that much hopeful. And I know, like, kind of putting like the horse, you know, before the wagon, but or the wagon before the horse, whatever the saying is. Um, but it does it does give the Giants a lot of hope because they got like a really tough stretch going. Um, coming up. Um, actually, next week we do play the Cowboys. Actually, yeah. So it's nice. You to... a, yeah, you have a connection with the with Cowboys. So you have uh, someone in your family that's the Cowboy fan. So yeah, you, yeah, it should be watching that. Yeah, it's gonna be like an annoying day for me. Um, well, it's gonna be a fun day to just be sitting down watching a game with my stepdad and just lay, like, you know, talking shit all game. That's always fun. That's it's two two um two times of the year. I always look forward to where you know we could, you know, josh each other. Cause he always like gives me shit. Cause obviously the Giants haven't been great in a long time. But you know I've seen Super Bowl championships a lot more recently than he has. Um, but it was nice to get the little two for the Yankees finally handled their business. I mean, it was kind of, like, disappointing because, like, the Tampa Bay Rays really had nothing to play for. Yankees had everything to play for. If they wouldn't have won two out of three, they would have been the top wild card. And Yankee, Yankee Stadium would have been hosting the wild card game on Tuesday. But how it shook out was they lost a heartbreak on Friday. And then yesterday, on Saturday, they played, like, a really poor game, lost 12-2. to But today it was like a nail biter 
and you know they snuck out of having to play a 163rd game against um Toronto by winning. So Aaron Judge had his first career walk off for the Yankees. Um, what a time to do it! Uh, so it was nice to get like the the two for the opposite two for whereas like. As opposed to like the the other Sunday, ironically against Boston, where the Giants lost and then the Yankees won, it's always been like the like for, in this premature season, it's been the Yankees lose and then the Giants lose or Giants lose, Yankees lose. So it's nice to get a win win for once. Um, on like a on like a downside. Um, yesterday during the game. One of my favorite broadcasters, period. Mm. Um, he does play-by-play, does color commentary. Um, Ken Singleton, he's a New Yorker. Matt Vernon, local. Yeah, he announced he's retiring. and He had actually previously announced his retirement after the 2018 season, but then mm. came back in 2019 on like a truncated schedule where he would only do games like a couple Yankee games at home and a couple games in Baltimore because he actually his playing career like a majority of it his best years were with the Baltimore Orioles and he's in the Baltimore Orioles Hall of Fame um but then the following year 2020 and then this year he did like a full board schedule and as he's getting up there in age, his fam- you know, his wife is getting up there in age. He said his priorities changed. And, you know, yesterday it seemed very, very final. It was I, I knew it was very, very real that he was retiring because Michael K, like when he announced it, like Michael K was like the most silent I've ever heard Michael K during a game ever in my whole life. And I know we joke about him like talking too much, but he it, it seemed like very genuine that he was very sad that like it was bittersweet to see like his friend and um broadcasting partner um retiring. Uh but you know he, he's been broadcasting for 37 years with the Blue Jays. He started off with the Blue Jays for about two years and then a couple of years with the Expos, but he's been with the Yankees more often than not. George Steinbrenner hired him. He never played with the Yankees, which was something that, like, I didn't even realize until, like, I think I was in my late teens. Uh, but George Steinbrenner hired him because he had such a connection with the city of New York. Um, and in his playing career, he played with the Mets, played with the the, the Expos, played um, with the Orioles, as I said. He was a world champion in 1983 with the Orioles. Um, before like sabermetrics became a thing, he was one of the people who had a very high on base percentage. You know, he, he his career on base percentage was like in the three eighties. So he's unique. So it was very very personal to me. Um, I always uh, jokingly during games I would call like like as a matter of fact, as soon as he joined Twitter and I hope like he, he stays, you know, um, interacting with Yankee fans on Twitter. I always call him like my grandpa in my head because he has like that, that black granddad voice now. So, and you know, like just, it, it's just going to be weird not hearing, you know, and this one is gone and look out when, you know, a foul ball, you know, a hard hit foul ball is being hit. So 
I'm definitely yeah. going to miss Kenny and congratulations on a great and long career. You will be missed by all of us Yankees fans who tune into Yes and oh, Channel 11, CBS when it was on CBS, Channel 9 when it was on Channel 9. Um, that's just how long he's been a part of our lives. Yeah, and uh, I was talking to my, my uh, other buddy uh, earlier and he went, he went, dude, he was like, He's retiring. I was like, yeah, I, I think he, I said the same thing where like he kind of insinuated it or he could kind of like uh, slowly was saying, oh, this is it. I remember like watching a game where he's like, oh, it was the last game. And then, you know, he, you know, he was came back again. But, uh, you know, it's just um, that casual, that casual, like he, he seems like he's watching the game on like a recliner and he's like, just like, yeah, you know, like this is, you know, it was very, very like, laid back and stuff. Um, I love, you know, I love all the guys still with, uh, I like, you know, Michael K. I enjoy. He's, he's a little too, you know, hyper sometimes. Paul O'Neill seems like he's kind of goofing off sometimes. I'm like, all right, well, let's get serious. David Cohen, I enjoy. Uh, ironically, I really enjoy the Mets commentary on, you know, because uh, I've been watching a lot of uh, Channel 11 or uh, PIX, you know, like uh, Met Games. I appreciate other teams commentator commenters, you know, like I, I like, um, you know, cause baseball is just, you know, I just like the, I appreciate um, like the hometown team. Um, even though he never like was like a Yankee, he still was like a New York guy. And, but he was also um, objective, objective. Like, I appreciated that. And like Jim Cat, Jim Cott too, was like very like, Oh, they shouldn't be doing this. Sometimes I feel like yes is kind of uh, like you know too, too much Homer stuff, you know. Like, um, so I, that's why I respected him because he always like you know he was upfront about like his uh, very very objective. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm you know I'm it's it's it happens you know people you know retire and and then he's gonna you know that's good. Um, yeah, but uh, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go back to the intensity of these. I'm gonna duel the Yankees and the Giants showed like intensity because we go back to the uh, last week with the gar the garbage can incident with the Giants. Uh, you know that they posted the picture of like the, the uh, you know the owner knocked over the garbage can, whatever. Barkley played with such intensity. Um, Daniel Jones has been doing that, but now it kind of like clicked. I felt it clicked, but I'm not, I'm still going to be apprehensive uh, going forward. Um, but I like the attitude, you know? Um, and with the Yankees, we had like a little, um, for a little uh, shades of Derek Jeter in, in the crowd that play, you know, remember Derek Jeter did that whole play where he like landed in, in the, uh, in the, in the crowd. And it was like, oh my God, he's going to remember the Derek Jeter thing where he you got the cut on his face and everything. But Urshel, that, that was that, that was like going into the uh, bullpen. It was uh they show that they you know they actually care. I like when they actually like seem out. like they care. Dugout, yeah, that's what I meant. Um but yeah, I mean that was you know, that was fun. I love watching uh the sport, you know, sports, whatever. But we have other stuff we're gonna talk about. We're talking about the uh Giants and Saints. We're going to talk about the Saints of Newark. Um, debuted a few days ago on HBO Max and theaters. 
I actually wanted to go, I wanted to see it in theaters. Um, I opted not to. I found out that my mom went, she went and saw it. And I was like, oh, great. I would have, I would have went with you. But um, we'll, we'll get into that uh, because it, it felt like a TV movie. We'll get into it though. Uh, we also want to talk about uh, the NBA season is approaching. I mean, it's like, you know, it's October already, you know, it's inventory time. October is NBA. Uh, usually it starts late October. Um, we talked about the Knicks last week where like they seem to be doing everything right, but they're still getting just like for no reason. I, I don't know. Like I told you, uh, Sugar Mara, I told you um, I work with someone who's a, who's a Nets fan and, you know, Kyrie Irving is someone in particular who I don't I'm not sure at this point right now uh, when, when we were what, what's his official statement now? We'll, we'll get into the with Kyrie Irving. Um, you know, like I don't want to say I'm gonna put a label on someone, but anti-vax. Whatever, but that's, I don't like these like uh, buzzwords. Uh, but we're gonna get into talking about that. But the Knicks seem to be like going in the right direction, and they're still like, you know, getting shit from media and like fans on Twitter. So we're going to talk about uh, that and then in the NBA in general about the vaccination state by state where some players, if they can't play at their home arena, if they're not vaccinated. Um, I mean, we've been going to events. We talked about this. We went to a bunch of events in the last month where you got to show like I, I went to one last night where I had a show proof. So we're going to get into that. Um and yeah, we're going to do a little more, more updates on a bunch of videos that we've uh, worked on. Um, and I'm excited. Yeah, before we get into the show, I just want to um, send my thoughts and like condolences to um, the family of Maya Marcano. Mm-hmm. Um, I know last week we talked about Gabby Petito and how like the media coverage, you know, for her was, you know, it started to kind of get crazy. And, you know, I was talking about how, you know, a lot of attention was being paid to, you know, this blonde white girl, but Maya Marcano, um, Hispanic, Latina young lady, she was living in Orlando, living in an apartment complex. Apparently one of the people that worked at her complex a maintenance worker uh, always used to try to flirt with her and try to ask her out and whatever, whatever. And she, you know, declined and rejected him. And instead of just, you know, being a normal person and just, you know, taking our L and just going on with his life. uh, Not only was he such a creepy asshole, but he used his, uh, position and um, the resources that he had in his position in his position as a maintenance worker to use the master key to enter her apartment and murder her. Um, and it's just a whole disgusting thing. Again, it's one of these things where, like, unlike Gabby Petito, it wasn't leading news everywhere. Um, young Hispanic lady. You know, all the details weren't all over there. But, of course, like, you know, the people of color on Twitter and different social media outlets, 
made it known that she was missing and spread the story. And it's just unfortunate that, like, there was this long search for her and they finally found her body. And now that these details are out there, um, it's just, it just saddens me as a person. You know, I go to Orlando infrequently, but I have friends that live, friends, family friends that live in Orlando. And it was just really sad to hear this story. So my thoughts and my prayers are with her family. And, you know, I just, I just, it just disgusts me that, like, it's, it's just a scary thing. Like, if you're a young female and you live in an apartment complex and, you know, somebody gets a job being a handyman or some shit and they have access to your apartment and they could do something like this is just like extremely extremely terrifying um and I, the fact that it happened to her i'm just like deeply saddened so i just wanted to quickly um you know give my my thoughts and prayers and condolences to her family and her friends and all her loved ones and everyone she impacted in her life and it's a conversation to be had about this whole thing every every single piece of it i really actually i really appreciate that um you know I, we i can say i can oh i can you know i can i i understand how it is but we're you know let's, let's be honest we're men um i found out no you know people every day they're walking around and they're they feel fear like the, someone is like watching them and like um and that's something that uh, my eyes opened um early on and uh you know i was you know raised by a mother you know single mother and everything like um it's more than sad than me it kind of, i i don't i, I don't want to but i feel ang- anger i got anger um but yeah but uh my condolences and everything like that um uh, the only good, the only good thing about Twitter, social media is that it's like alternative. It doesn't have to be different, you know. It's just like there's voices that are being heard on Twitter, and things I didn't know, I wouldn't know about. I see, you know, then it gains traction and everything, and uh, just people, you know, they see it and they become aware. Like, there's some people that can um, put themselves in other people's shoes. I know that's like a cliche, but. Uh, uh, that's one of the better things that happened in the last few years. If that makes sense, you know, like virtually, like you you can't fully experience it, but like you can kind of relate to it. Yeah. Um, I it's, mean, it's, it's something like I'm trying to like a habit that I'm trying to like unlearn. Where a lot of people they see something like that, and you keep saying like. That could be my sister, daughter, mm-hmm. mother, um, mother, aunt, you know, some kind of like niece, like some kind of relative towards you as if like you need some kind of familiar, mm-hmm. f- uh, familial um, connection to a person to feel for them. But when I see something like that, especially when the details are that it's like a man that was, you know, basically sexually harassing her over and over and over and over and she rebuffed you know his like advances that shit like us as men like on if we're being like honest with ourselves that shit as men we don't have to deal with 
you know and we don't like i the the idea of <clears throat> of of somebody having like a romantic interest in us and us rejecting them and them using their position to like enter our domain or our place of 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 security it's just something we don't have to deal with and that's something i just i i have to be completely honest you know i have female family members but i don't think it should be just it, it should just I, I'm, I, I don't think like we should as men be you know oh like what if that was because i used to always um be one of them people that would be like well of course i would think about like my female family members um because obviously that makes you care more but you should just care in general and at the same time like people should care about everybody else just the same way like we care about like gabby petito the same way we care about making sure like hoping that you know the person i did that to her gets caught um you know i hope the person i did this to um maya also gets caught so i just wanted to take this time and you know before we get into all the other stuff um and i gloss over it i just wanted to give my thoughts and my prayers and um just i think us as people need to be vigilant you know women be vigilant about you know your surroundings men be vigilant for these women and their surroundings that's that's what i'm hoping for perfect point joke always brings it back to the i say something and you you, you hit the nail on the head with the people not men women you know people that was good um yeah, we'll, we'll jump into the 70. All right, so uh, last season, uh, you know, us as Nick fans, we have shout-out to Weed the Garden, uh, you know, you know, big fans of uh, them. You were in the mask all the time, too. Dolan J. Trump. Mm-hmm. Good guy. Good, good uh, personality on Twitter to follow. Um, but last season, in, in Madison Square Garden, they started uh, – during the postseason, they implemented the whole like show proof of vaccination. Um, and now in New York City, it's for anywhere you went, anywhere you go. Well, I went to a show uh, last week and it was like 200 people there. And you, you know, you show your, your card or your app. Um, we went to um, Queen, we went to the AEW show two weeks ago. Uh, same thing. Of course, that's way bit, that was way bigger. Uh, but, uh, in the NBA, it's in some, some arenas or some cities where you have to show proof of vaccination and they're asking athletes or talent to follow the same procedure as all of us. I mean, if we, we if you weren't there, they wouldn't be playing basketball, you know, but I, I don't, I'm not saying anything like that, but I'm just saying that um like we're supposed to be all in this together but um so i don't want to like completely just focus on one particular person you uh show can tell me more uh other athletes and other talent but the name that keeps popping up is kyrie irving on the nets um brooklyn you know new york city is, is part of the same uh thing as the knicks so kyrie irving um give more details on it 
if you please but um i know one time you you posted or you you shared uh Kyrie irving's like you know he doctors and stuff and he's like kind of insinuating that doctors don't doctors don't know everything or scientists don't know everything remember that that tweet that popped up yeah so basically it's like you trust the doctors for surgeries and stuff but you're not like trusting the science behind the whole covid thing and you know per you know you know I, i'm you know we're both vaccinated and everything we get real, you know we can go to those shows and everything um but what are your thoughts on this whole nba situation where you have you know you have the major markets you have new york you have la california and new york are both um more you know progressive or liberal and they're implement they implemented the vaccination protocol uh where some players uh can't play at home uh, and i don't want to send them out again but Kyrie irving is someone who you know last week was in the news about uh not doing it or not trusting it or, and you know the fact you know the whole thing is where you know that, that, that i i think the nets are our biggest like rival now because it's i like crosstown rivals more than like the celtics or more than you know that that type of thing but what if there's like a, a you know first round series and he can't play any game you know that's compromising you know yourself as a you know someone for your team so what do you think about that okay well this is like a good group of players um so far i think first and foremost since training camp i started before training camp it was 90 percent and since training camp has started 95 percent of nba players are vaccinated or at least got the first shot um so with that being said, everything we're about to say, please be aware that this is a vocal minority. This is um, a couple of people out of 5% of the NBA. Um, but as Mike stated before, these some of these players are very, like, you know, consequential players for prominent playoff teams. So I'm going to just reel, reel them off. Uh, Bradley Beal play for the Washington Wizards, plays for the Washington Wizards. Um, that was a team that played in the NBA playing game. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., he's someone who played for a top of the Western Conference team, the Denver Nuggets. Jonathan Isaac, he plays for the Orlando Magic, um, which hasn't been in the playoffs for a while. Um, probably not going to make the playoffs this year. And um, he wouldn't really be in fear of missing home games because, you know, Florida is, as I refer to it, like the, the MAGA, the MAGA line or the MAGA circuit, you know, all of these players that would be able to play games on the MAGA circuit, which is, you know, Georgia, Florida, uh, New Orleans, Texas, all of these different places they will be able to play. Um, and, of course, Kyrie Irving, who was interesting because this past week, NBA teams held their media days, which is basically everybody shows up, 
comes in uniform, talks to the media a little bit, um, new acquisitions, speak to the media. It's really like a, a very like highly anticipated day um, in the NBA calendar that doesn't actually involve actual games being played. But of course, these things, they take place at the training facilities. So the Knicks, obviously, they're... Um, their media day took place in the training facility up in Tarrytown, but they're good. 100% of the staff and employees, as well as 100% of all the players, are vaccinated. So the New York Knicks, they're all good to go. Game one, whether it be at Madison Square Garden, whether it be at the Barclays Center, whether it be in Indiana or wherever the hell it may be, they're good. Now, the Brooklyn Nets, they did theirs at their facility, which I believe is in Brooklyn. And Kevin Durant and James Harden were at the actual physically in the training facility. Only person um, out of their big three, quote unquote, was Kyrie Irving, who did his remotely because he's not vaccinated. Um, and obviously they're holding on to a lot of the stance that a lot of, you know, people who are against the vaccination are holding, oh, I need to do more research. Um, we can't, you know, what about the doctors are saying that the vaccines aren't safe? What about like the less than 1% of people who've had, you know, bad reactions to the vaccine, like all of these guys are holding on to those beliefs. But one of the people that was actually in the, um, basically the scrum of it was Andrew, Andrew Wiggins, who plays for the Golden State Warriors, who plays in, they play in San Francisco, which is one of the cities where it's mandated. Uh, Mike kind of got a little ahead of himself because he included L.A. I'm not sure about mm-hmm. that because I have not okay. heard of L.A. in it. Mm-hmm. But I know for sure New York and San Francisco are two of the cities that are included on, on um, you know, as far as the NBA guidelines are saying, if the city in which the game is being played requires everyone in an indoor facility or indoor um, venue to be vaccinated um players will not be played but new details were released from shams um of yahoo sports where he said that players would not be played would not be paid for games that they missed due to non-vaccination status so in Kyrie's case off the top of my head like i said i don't know if there are any other places outside of new york city or san francisco i'm not sure NBA cities that also are mandating that people um in indoor venues must be vaccinated but so far off the top of my head my estimation is that Kyrie would be missing 41 games in the Barclays Center in Brooklyn um the Knicks who are in the division so they would be playing them twice so that's 43, and then the aforementioned Golden State Warriors in San Francisco, where they um, would be playing one game in San Francisco. So off the top of my head, 44 games he would be missing if he chooses to 
maintain this stance of being anti-vaccinated. And it's just a lot of just wild things. I know Bradley Beal said he was misquoted in saying that the vaccination causes autism. Um, and obviously people had their ideas about it and had their thoughts and expressed their feelings and stuff like that. But, you know, the autism thing about vaccinations isn't nothing new. It's something that's been going on with all of the different vaccinations. And the thing that pisses me off personally is people are adding like, a, like I said, Bradley Beal um, said he was misquoted on that. He did not say that kids get autism, but I'm just going off of what the response to the initial report was. And just in discussion, because I know a lot of anti-vaccination people have had that sense too. Like, oh, I don't know if it causes autism. First of all, there's nothing wrong with, you know, people being autistic. They're regular people just like us, the same way um, you have, I, I think it's like a whole, um, certain people have certain uh, disabilities, period. Like, you know, some of us are asthmatic. Some of us are visually impaired. Some of us are hearing impaired. It's just, it, it, it impacts some people harder more than others. So I think this idea of like autism being like a bad thing is just um, awful. And, and tying that in with your vaccination thing, it not only uh, is bad because you're spreading misinformation about the vaccination, but you're also spreading discrimination and hate towards um you know, people on the autism spectrum or people that have Asperger's. So that piece of misinformation is, is wrong for a million other reasons on top of being wrong with the information with the vaccination. Um, Jonathan Isaac, he also said he was misquoted because somebody put out that he was, uh, his vaccine research was him looking up um, Black history um, I, I assume that alludes to like the Tuskegee um mm. experiment where um a lot of people um a lot of black men were taken and performed and injected with syphilis mm. um in the 1930s. And that's something in of its own that requires a ton of research, but really has nothing to do with the vaccine being um distributed today. Um, and also on top of that history that he was quote unquote researching, um, he was watching Donald Trump's press conferences from last year. So, you know, Jonathan Isaac, he's always been like a weird guy in the fact that like he refused to kneel or support Black Lives Matter, which is astounding as a black man. But whatever do you think? But as Mike alluded to when I tweeted the, the thing about Kyrie and Jonathan Isaac, Jonathan Isaac had an ACL tear. Um, his ATL, like, tore up last year. So, so I'm pretty sure he trusted doctors then. And I put out a tweet where I, I showed all of Kyrie Irving's injuries, so much so that I only did, like, the first page of injuries. It was, like, a whole nother page. I was like, I'm pretty sure he um, listened to those people then. Um, so just insane. And then on top of that, today actually came out like Andrew Wiggins decided to get vaccinated. 
Um, and a lot of people were saying like he pulled out his calculator and realized how much money he was gonna be losing by missing, you know, those same forty, uh, not for, like forty three games, you know, in New York and San Francisco. Hey, but you know, when I hear that, I'm like, no, I want you to believe in it. You know, it's like the incentive of getting paid to do it. It's like, oh, you still don't believe in it. You know, you're still you you're still doubted. But oh, I'm doing it for the money. Yeah, that that doesn't sit well with me. Um, going back to the California thing, uh, you are correct, sir. You are correct, sir. Um, because the Nets uh, did something in San Diego. So San Diego was okay. And then, uh, you know, different cities and counties, you know, it's county by county because in New York, New York City is different than the other counties we have in our state. So I'm, I'm just like broad strokes of the, uh, and so I'm glad you corrected me on that one because uh, I'm not sure how Northern California is seems like San Francisco and, and places like that. And then you have the, the eastern part of California that they seem they're they're uh, I'm not sure if they're that they're a little different they're kind of like our version of upstate New York and no disrespect to upstate New York um, but it's very loose in uh, in in our, in our state um, especially even in Westchester where uh, I dwell right now um, there's no mandate whatever for many things but like new york city is very very the opposite completely the opposite um but yeah what do you how how do you see this uh playing out you think uh Kyrie? what do you think how do you see it playing uh playing out because we still got what when's the first game oh october 19th all right i thought it was the the tip-off so about like two weeks from now, it's crazy. We had that turnaround. Yeah. Um, but it's not news to anybody because, you know, we said before when we were discussing the Knicks playoffs, the Knicks went on to the second round of the playoffs. In the first round, they did have a section for mm-hmm. unvaccinated, unvaccinated people that, you know, was social distance, six feet apart. You had to wear masks, et cetera, et cetera. But had they moved on to the second round, all mm. you would have to show vaccination, the same thing we had to do when we went to AEW, all of that. Um, and it, it's crazy because, you know, when somebody like Ted Cruz is backing you, um, I don't know whatever side he's on, but I don't want to be on that side. I, I tweeted, I was like, Ted Cruz would tell me I have nice hair and I would shave my head bald. <laughs> Jeez. Like that, that is uh, how uh, uh, clip that out. That's a that's that's a clip right there. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's um, how very how anti um Ted Cruz I am just because he's always on the wrong side of shit. Uh he's like the political jinx. But well, you know why though? Uh, just I don't want to cut you off, but uh, Ted Cruz, I feel like he's like doesn't believe in anything he says. So that's uh, that's a double whammy. Where I'm like, you think you you want people to hear what they that you think they you know like he he does it just like for you know as a politician. Um, phony baloney. That's it. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, but you know, a lot of these guys, the the points that they're making, it's kind of already like dispelled. First of all, Michael Porter Jr. He says <laughs> it's funny because I don't know what was more ill informed, him or TMZ saying he was one of the biggest NBA stars, which is both that was like a misnomer. Um, but M- uh, Michael Porter Jr. He caught COVID. He claims he caught COVID twice, and he didn't. He he doesn't want to know the effect that the vaccine would have in, on his body, which is astounding. So I'm trying to figure it out. Does that mean like you want to keep getting COVID? Um, like you you don't like you've seen what COVID does to your body. So, but you don't want a vaccine. I don't understand it. That's that. That's that. I never actually really, I the uh, cutting your nose off to spite your face. That's like the whole thing. You know, you know you've heard that before, right? Yeah, yeah. So that that's kind of like that. Yeah, and then um, as I said, with I, you know, your question was like, how long do I think it lasts? I mean, it depends. Do these people want to put their money where their mouth is? Which is, if your stance is. I don't want to get the vaccine. I'm not sure of it. Or for whatever reason, like you don't want it, period. Put your money where your mouth is. But don't be all on this like, woe is me because the NBA, the big bad NBA is making me do this. Like 95% of the other people in the league have taken a vaccine and have no problems with it. The two people that's talking right now have taken a vaccine and have had no problems with it. Um, you know, we could still carry COVID, but guess what? We haven't had like full blown COVID scares. And one of the things Bradley Beal again with the, the the misinformation was he was saying, Okay, like people have the vaccine and they still get COVID. Like uh, you know, how are they still getting COVID? And it's like you know, people take a flu shot and still get the flu. It, but guess what? People die from the flu from not getting the flu shot. The COVID vaccine, that's the vaccine. It's not a cure. It's something to prevent you from dying. It's something to prevent you from becoming seriously ill. And for some reason, people aren't, like, grasping that. I also do it be- so I don't want to get someone else sick. Yeah. And we have elderly, I have an elderly, you know, elderly parents. Yeah. And then... I work in a place where I see hundreds and hundreds of people in a, in a week. And I, you know, I have a great immune system. I'm a, despite all my, you know, I'm good metabolism and everything. And um, I'm just having, I'm getting older now. So I'm getting uh, allergies. I never had allergies before like this, but I'm having seasonal allergies now. And it's like, oh, I used to, you know, I used to be like, you know, I can go out and just be all right. But now I'm like, uh, well, bed, you know, bedridden sometimes. I'm like, oh, I'm tired, you know, but um, that happens with life. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I don't want, I don't want to like downplay. Uh, I don't want to like, yeah, you know, it's like, you know, the back and forth of like, uh, oh, you're either this or this. I see both sides. I get it. You know, I get the whole thing, and I, I I lean towards vaccination. Um, I had a flu shot like a couple years ago, 
like in 2018 or whatever. And before that, earlier and stuff, um, uh, my father told me, you know, he pol- he was getting polio shots when he was like six. Um, and now polio is coming back or whatever. So the other diseases are coming back. There's a, there's a method to the madness. Uh, the, science, I, I trust science. Okay. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, Kyrie with this big old list of injuries, Jonathan Isaac tore up his ACL. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. He just got a big extension, and a lot of people question it, questioning it because of his injury history. And my thing is, is the it's it's people in medicine that made it able for you guys to continue your NBA careers. So my thing is, I feel like if these people are so strong in your stance. Stand by you. Put your money where your mouth is. If they're saying you're gonna lose game checks, then and you feel like it's worth it to miss these games. Not only that, but your team, um, has somebody else on your team has to step up, or your team has to take a whip in because you've decided not to play in this game in Brooklyn or in Madison Square Garden or in San Francisco. Then so be it. Like, stick with your stance. You know, it's funny with Andrew Wiggins. Like, I think he realized, but somebody came out and it's like $9 million is what he would have lost this year in, My in goodness. game checks. And, That's crazy. You know, there's no new information that came out between then and now other than the fact that, yo, like, you're going to lose money if you don't play. So I think that's what people do. And again, I have to circle back to it. 95% of the league is vaccinated. And so this is definitely a situation where it's a loud minority. Um, the sad thing about it is it's like these people have these platforms and there's, you know, people I know, probably people I might know are anti-vax. And all these people are doing is giving them validation. And it's, you know, the blind leading the blind, in my opinion. But 95% of the league is vaccinated. My favorite team is 100% vaccinated. So they'll be ready to go Monday night regardless. So I really don't give a damn what um, any of these other guys do <laughs> personally. And we will be whining and dining. You know, we're going to uh, go to a game this year, finally. Um also, with the whole like not trusting the science, okay, every single hoop, the cylinder, <laughs> that science, like it's the same size. You know, you, you know what I mean? Like it's like measurements and like math, mathematicians, like they me- they they perfected this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? Like it's like if you trust that, oh my 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 uh, jump shot is going to be this you know, that and everything. You trust that. Uh, have some faith. I know faith is not science, but have faith that they're doing their best to perfect, you know, medicine and everything. Like things work out. Like you can calculate uh, different, you know, you can calculate anything. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how you make your money. You know, that's how you make your money. Yeah. But the NBA is co- coming back and we're going to go to a game this year. We're going to go to a. And Draymond Green, um, at first he, I guess he pressed Andrew Wiggins about getting, um, vaccine, getting vaccinated. 
and then kind of backtracked the next day saying like, oh, it's not my fault and likened players missing games due to um, decline mm-hmm. in the vaccine. Um, he compared that to players missing games for the birth of their children. Um, I would venture to say it's the exact, exact opposite because that is literally life. And that's literally that's weird. Um, yeah, and he was saying, and he was like, you know, oh, it's become like a political thing, which I think is is crazy because um, I've seen people on the right side go out and get vaccinated and push for the vaccination. I've seen people on the left side not be vaccinated and be anti-vax. Um, yeah, that's that weird Venn, Venn diagram where it's like left and right also. Yeah, it's, some people. Yeah, some people. It's a whole mixed bag of people, and he's like, yeah. you know, I don't understand why it's being pressed on. And I'm like, um, it might be like the seven hundred thousand people in this country who's died from it. Like, if you could go back in time to like October 2019 and talk to yourselves and say, listen. Like, I'm not just us. I'm just saying, like, anybody listen to this. Go back and tell some, you know, if you listen to this and you're anti-vax or you're, you you know, you've taken a vaccination and you practice social distancing during, you know, pre-vaccine and wearing masks and, you know, washing your hands and all that stuff, right? If you went back to October 2019 and talked to yourself and said, listen, within two years, 700 million Americans are going to die from the same shit. And if you do this, this, and this, and then when this vaccine comes, you take this vaccine, you could stop it. Like, if anybody could hear that information back then and do it, and then fast forward to now and it's still not doing it, like, it's it's just astounding to me. And, you know, I I don't know when we're going to, like, get through this, but, like, the world needs to go on. I think the only way we could do that is everybody, you know, smartens up and starts, you know, like Mike said, you got to, like, be selfless. You have to stop thinking about yourself. Like, you could save a ton of lives by just, you know, going out and getting a shot. All right. So uh, so I was a big fan of The Sopranos. Uh, I started watching it uh, probably season four or three or four because uh i guess i was young but i have uh, memories of my mom taping uh, on vhs uh sopranos for my my grandpa who was a sicilian and uh he'd be like oh that's you have the sopranos for me and i would give it to him he'd be like oh you're like you know he's like he lived that lifestyle but um but the many states of New York is a different approach to uh, like the mafioso lifestyle. Uh, first and foremost, I'm going to say Sopranos. I don't think Sopranos was like really uh, a mafia type show. It was an, like an allegory. But this, on the other hand, uh, kind of was a straightforward um, take on you know, like the classic, you know, you're a big fan of Godfather, Chuck, right? You're a big fan of that. Um, it felt more like that. Uh, David Chase, of course, wrote. And then we had Alan Taylor. Um, if you go back and look at uh, the credits on IMDb, he did a bunch of episodes. 
Um, he was a director. Uh, but The Many Saints of Newark, Newark uh, debuted on HBO Max and in theaters. My mother saw it in theaters. I would have went too. But I wanted to. I wanted to see it in theaters. But when I was watching it, you know, it felt like it. It felt like because everyone who's part of the show, the film, uh, they were in great TV shows. And I'm gonna get into that because it's many saints, it's many characters, and in two hours, they had way too many. I mean, in, in a good way. Like they had so many good characters in two hours that, uh, you know, it ends with you know a soprano story. Uh, I I'm not surprised if they're gonna do another one or something like uh, maybe in the '80s or something. Um, what, what's your uh, initial thoughts on? Uh, on on this uh, on the many scenes of New York because it was you know delayed it was supposed to come out like a year and a half ago right and they they delayed it uh, but uh, we both watched it on like when it first came out on Friday and we're talking about it now so uh, what was your initial reaction to it before I jump into my two cents show yeah it was directed by Alan Taylor who did Thor in the Dark World which is Probably one of the weaker MCU movies, probably the weakest. Um, and he did another movie I thought that wasn't like well received, so I didn't know. Um, I was pleasantly surprised after seeing the movie how well it was done. And like you said, he directed a ton of Soprano episodes, possibly a lot of my favorite episodes. Um, David Chase, he wanted to direct the movie, but he was a- unable to due to um, family obligations, but it's said that he was on the set every day. Um, and it's just interesting. I think when Sopranos ended way back in like 2006, 2007, um, everybody was wondering what was next, especially how the movie, how, how the series ended, you know, going black. Um, it was very like ambiguous, and as we've seen with other HBO series, they eventually made their way onto the big screen. Sex and the City, uh, two times over. Um, they're coming back, I think, with like a revival series. Um, Entourage, you know, they wrapped up the series in a movie. Uh, so it was, you know. A long time coming for a Sopranos uh, story. And if you watch the Sopranos throughout the years, um, various characters would allude to certain things that happened, you know, way back when in the, you know, 60s, 70s and 80s um, that weren't shown in the show, as well as things that they had flashback sequence to. A matter of fact, one of the oh, flashbacks yeah. that they had in the movie, um, uh, uh, one of the flashbacks that they had in the show, they actually reshot that whole sequence for the movie, which was um, at Playland when um, the mob, you know, the, the members of the mafia would have like card games and they would bring their daughters as kind of like a front to say they was just taking their daughters to like the amusement park and all of the guys ended up getting nabbed, including um uh Johnny Boy Soprano, who was mm-hmm. Tony's father. Um and it was you know in a series it was kind of played up because 
it was done in a way to as kind of like a commentary on a relationship between Tony and Janice because he felt that his father favored Janice more than he did and little did he know the only reason he would take Janice to the amusement park and not him was because of um basically this whole cover-up um this this front and they showed the scene in the series but then redid it in the movie great yeah and i want to take a moment just to mention all the different actors and who they played because again it was like two hour movie um i feel like this should have been maybe a mini series you know i don't know but i that's what i think because you have um great performance by uh well, let's start from the beginning, actually. The Christopher Montesanti, he, at first I was a little like, what the hell? Like, it was like Kim talking about him from Beyond the Grave and stuff. And I was like, all right. But I now looking back, I think it was important because uh, you needed all the people that like Sopranos like to be drawn in, you know, towards like, hey, we're, you know, because... During uh, lockdown last year, I rewatched Sopranos for like the fourth time, you know, because of the Talking Sopranos uh, podcast. Chris, uh, you know, Michael Imperiali and Steve Sharifa, he, uh, you know, uh, w- episode by episode, and they would talk about it and have guests on. It's still going on now. Um, but that, that was a, it was a comfort thing to watch because, uh, you know, for like a month or two, I wasn't doing anything and I was just watching it. Um, but going back to the characters, character you never saw in Sopranos was Dickie Malasante, uh, Christopher's father. Um, kind of like, you know, how like Christopher and Tony were like nephew, uncle and nephew and whatever, but they were like cousins. I don't know. It was like that type of thing. But that was what they had. And you never saw this character before. You only heard about him. So that's something new. But they had, you know, they brought that in. Um, Alessandro Navala. That, um, I, you know, Hollywood Dickie. I liked that. That, that was a, a great performance. Um, the next one I want to bring up is Livia. You know, uh, Tony's mother. Everyone praises uh, the first couple seasons of Sopranos because you know the uh, Tony's mom's you know the, the character. Um, I thought they had the perfect actress because uh, Vera uh, what was it Vera Vera yeah from uh, Bates Motel and what else is she? And she's like great. She's always great. She's always intense. Um, again, another television actor actress whatever you want to say um and then you had you had two different uh tonys you had uh william lungwig because of the first half of the movie it's like you know it's like the late 60s again i'm going to get to it eventually with the newark newark is one of the characters of the film it's it it's like a perfect thing and it's something that they did in the sopranos where it's uh, uh newark is like you know in the shadow of new york city and you know it feels 
it feels like a small town, but also it's like a big town. And then it's like borderline northern, southern for some reason. Like it just feels like there's a lot of tension and stuff. And then, you know, they bring it up when we're going to get into it. Um, hey, you, you mentioned Johnny Boy, uh, John, I forgot, Berthnell. Um, if anyone is interested in seeing a similar uh, project, a mini series on HBO that uh, I was a background actor on. He was a great guy. He was cool. He was like, you want a water? He was like being nice to me and stuff. Uh, Show me a hero. It's about the racial tension in Yonkers in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, very similar to uh, the Saints of Newark. Um, I, I've mentioned that before. Uh what you think about his performance? John Bernthal, I thought, was, was pretty good. But, again, it's the same thing. Like, when I was watching The Sopranos, like, he's, he like, Johnny Boy always seemed, like, kind of like a mystery, um, mysterious figure in the series. Because, obviously, he, he passed on. Mm-hmm. But he still was kind of like a mystery in a movie because he was basically – kind of in the beginning of the movie and then kind of in the middle and then you know it kind of moved away he wasn't like a central character i don't think he was intended to be but in in those scenes that he had and and in his with what he had to work with like i thought john bernthal did a, a excellent job oh yeah and that's the whole point like uh tony didn't have like it was like this this father figure that he never had yeah, I think they explore that in the Sopranos. Those were always like vague. So, uh, if you know, I, I love reading um, transgressive novels where like you can't trust the person that's talking in the in the book. I I always felt that it was like Tony's uh, Tony Sopranos. You know, like my you know my dad. You know, he he was always like. Uh, confused about all that um and they, they you know they focus on the mother again the the in in the series was you know well you know unfortunately she put you know passed away in the second season so you know that but i'm glad that they had a uh great uh prequel version of her yeah but the, the whole thing with tony like um you know i i thought it was great that they had Michael, uh, his son, his actual, you know, Michael, Michael uh, Genafini, right? It's 22. Show ended 14 years ago. So yeah, he was, you know, he grew up. He was born when the show started. And um, I think we talked about this off air, but I said, um, I'm not sure if this is like positive closure or maybe he's, you know, what's his next what's what's the next move for him if he wants to actually pursue this i don't know but it, it felt like a good uh closure um but yeah but i mentioned how newark seems to be a character in it and i think it's a perfect city that maybe philly but it's a, it's a it's a perfect city um and timely especially last year you know our show started, you know, last summer. Uh, we had, you know, protests in the streets and stuff. And the show kind of 
is born out of the movies born out of the um it happened in every it happened in most cities major cities but uh the newark riots in 67 uh kind of like birthed um a lot of you know a lot of uh i don't know but, but do you agree with me that new york seems like a very small town but also like a big city in the shadow so it's kind of like there's so many people there and there's so many um lack of opportunity that something was bound to happen and this is 50 years ago you know um and people uh if I, i'm looking at people's um critiques of it like oh why you know why you bring it up and stuff like that i'm like sopranos always talked about it they always had uh they always dealt with the, like tension tension in the newark area um you know, I thought it was, I thought it was, what's the word? I, got, I thought it was like um, on brand for Sopranos. If it, it's, if it's a soprano story. How do you feel about the Newark uh, as being the sort of the personification of tension and everything? I don't know. But um, and speaking of a movie, like going into it, like I thought like, I, I, it was interesting because I thought, like, just like in a Soprano series, watching as obviously like a black person and just enjoying a series. Um, it, I, I found it interesting that, or like I thought, knowing that the the Newark riots and it, the racial tension and stuff was kind of like. Part of, part of the plot of the story, but it wasn't, like, the main focus of the story. I was like, oh, wow, like, you know, Black people are going to be basically, like, one-off, like, the OA characters in a movie as they had been in the series. Um, And it wasn't that. I think they brought in um Leslie Odom Jr., who a lot of people mm-hmm. know from Hamilton. So mm-hmm. he played, like, a prominent role in the movie where he was, you know, working with Dickie Montesanti. Um, he, he played Harold um, Bayless. Harold Bayless, who was kind of, like, working with him in the 60s. And apparently they grew up together. They played football together and stuff like that. So you, you see that when you – in a movie, and, I, you know, I tweeted out the other day, like, when you watch the movie, uh, if you remember the old Uncle Ben scene in the series when – Tony, you know, uh, Meadow brings home her boyfriend who's yeah. half black and half Jewish. And he's furious that she brings home this black guy. And that's the one thing I think, I, I, like, I wouldn't say I enjoyed about Sopranos, but I appreciated, like, the honesty of it. Where he, like, looks, he he's furious that Meadow brought home, like, a black guy. No matter what he he did, he checked off as black which is interesting uh, considering some things like um, Sage Steele said on Jay Cutler's podcast, but that's a story for another day. But he looks yeah. into the cabinet wow. and he's like, he sees a box of Uncle Ben Rice and it, it, it you know, with his, his um, anxiety, he had like a panic attack and just faints at, at the sight of it. So I tweeted out, right after watching a movie, I was like, I know midway through the movie, a certain something happens, and Noah, 
the character Noah mm. is smiling somewhere. Yeah, that was interesting. Um, you know, rewatching the you know the original series I, again. I want to separate it because it, this is a, a different thing. You know, because Sopranos had more you know time to breathe. You had um, it was more of an allegory. I thought it, was, it felt more of an allegory about like not they used the mafia thing as like a backdrop. This seemed more of like. Oh, the rise of or the fall, you know, because like Sopranos is the fall of Tony Soprano, where he's like, you know, overcome with all, all his stuff. And this is kind of like the 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 original, the, the origin of his baggage. Um but yeah, I that yeah, I, I I saw that it was funny. Not funny, but it was you know poignant. Um yeah, but I think um very good it's it's a it's a good companion to the series and i don't think it's going to end i think they're gonna um you know they're they're gonna explore this franchise because it is a franchise now um i mean there was a failure with el camino that was the madman um kind of like sequel doubt that that wasn't a success um the whole thing where on the bottom of the trailer where it says like you know a soprano story it reminds me of like star wars you know but there's like such a rich such a rich um universe i mean this, that's a buzzword now with like marvel and all that but um we didn't talk about we didn't talk about ray liotta like ray liotta is like uh you know what do you think what would you think about ray liotta in this those who they had him playing dual roles, one as Dicky Moltisanti's uh, father in the beginning, and then later on as his uncle who was in prison for killing a maid man, and uh, essentially, um, he sought ex- advice from his uncle, um, that version of Ray Liotta. Nonetheless, I think both. Um, in both roles, Ray Liotta is good. And I think Ray Liotta has been, you know, finding his niche as this, um, you know, returning to the gangster genre, which, you know, made him famous way back when for doing Goodfellas. You know, now he's playing like the older gangster in movies. Like he played, um, I forgot the Steven Soderbergh, Steven Soderbergh movie um, from a couple months ago that came out. He... He played, you know, a gangster in our movie, and then he was also an Irishman, you know, that reunited him with Martin Scorsese. So that's that's cool because I always loved Ray Liotta's work, um, in in many different facets, you know, in serious work and comedic work. He's he's great. Oh, he was great on Chris. How do you think this affects or influences how we look at this the actual series? The uh, Sopranos. Can you separate the two and like appreciate them separately? I don't want to. You don't want to? Why would I? Well, I mean, it's branded as Sopranos, you know. Yeah, but why would I separate them? I mean, like I did, I did, like when I saw the movie, like it was kind of built as a prequel to the Sopranos. 
but to me, I thought of it as a prologue to The Sopranos. Like, Sopranos is just the book, and then mm. the Many Saints of Newark is the prologue, where it's just like, this is the background to this. Just oh, not meant to set anything up, I think. Uh, that that's prologue is a, is a perfect word for it. Um, not even a source material. It's just sort of like you know, same kind of similar characters, and some of them are the same characters. Um, doesn't affect uh, my appreciation of you know the Tony Soprano of the series. Uh, I love watching you know James Gandolfini's son. Uh, again, I keep saying, like, I couldn't imagine, like, playing, you know, portraying my father in, in like, a movie or, a, a, you know, something like this. Um, but, I, you know, I think, um, you know, going forward, I'm not sure where, where it's going to lead with this in the character. I think he should branch out and everything. If he's, you know, looking to pursue it, Um He's, you know, he's 22 years old. Um, but I'm really happy that um, Talking Soprano podcast g- got me back into watching it after like four or five years. Because um, this was supposed to come out back then. And it was delayed. And then they, they, re- they re- kind of like worked it, film more stuff. I thought that the way they... The, it came out now uh was timely um because like i i think the whole you know this, the newark thing big city small city you know combination where uh you know i used to work in newark i felt like i was in like the south it was like weird. it was like i don't know uh maybe i'm you know, talking out of school, but it felt like in the shadow, you see the skyscrapers, but um, it was important to talk about uh, the tension and everything. Um, and it's very timely for now because, you know, it's, you know, it's important. Yeah, I think it was a success. You know, I, I would say he's probably going to take a break. Dave just like a break again. Um, this might have been the this might have been it with it, but I think there's always going to be interest in Sopranos because it was like a you know success. And then later on, when we talk about the final thoughts, I have uh, ideas about um, if this is going to influence other series coming back. We already talked about Frasier like a year ago. I don't know what would happen to that. They, they didn't film it. Um, you have anything else to say about the the film? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, if you'd indulge me, I'm just real off my notes. Um, I thought Vera Farmiga who uh hit all the notes, hit mm-hmm. hit all the live soprano marks. Um, in the trivia, it was revealed to me that, or I found out that, like they fashioned her um makeup to make her look like. Um, Edie Falco, um, ah. Carmela Soprano, but I thought she hit all. I, I thought she hit all the marks of oh, the we... Soprano that I knew from the series. 
um uh I forgot her name, Marshawn um was the Norma Marshawn, I think was the original actress that played um Olivia Soprano and she oh, yeah. she passed away um midway through and something that blew my mind, like one of my favorite movies, Naked Gun. I didn't even realize she was the mirror in that movie. So it was weird to see her as like in this comedic movie and then being the Sopranos. Leslie Odom Jr. I thought was excellent. As I've said, as a person who watched every single Soprano episode, they never really had a prominent African American character. So um it was great that in this they took this opportunity, especially in this time where we're trying to be like diverse and inclusive and tell stories. Cause obviously there were black people in Newark. Um during this time and he he hit it out the park with that role as did his counterpart in the movie alessandro um novola as dicky moltisanti both were great i thought Corey stall who played junior you know you see him in ant-man uh he was also in black mass the um whitey bulger movie he's he's very like a, a very like underrated actor but he definitely yeah. embodied a young junior uh Corrado soprano junior and he did like his best dominic shyness who i always loved in the series um not the character but the actor and obviously after this movie um you know if you if you didn't like Junior, you're probably really not gonna like him. Um, a Hall Time Hall of Fame hater. Um, I thought the opening was great. Um, just sensational filmmaking. You know the the camera panning through the graveyards, mm. panning through the graveyard to through the many different um tombstones where like each tombstone was kind of telling the story and then settles on Christopher Moltisanti. And then they brought back my, one of my favorite actors, Michael Imperioli, to do the voiceover. I thought his narration in the movie was great. Um, obviously, he didn't narrate every single piece of plot that went through the movie, but um, they gave him lines that hit Um you know, and I thought that was great. Um, and then I love the allusions to the series, where they alluded to the series a lot. Um, obviously, today with, you know, the internet and social media, people call this like fan service. I think the movie did an excellent job with the fan service in a way that it uh, wasn't fan service, if that makes sense. I think like the closest thing to... Like, all right, this is like fan services. Um, when uh Tony and Artie are standing in front of Holston's and they're contemplating life, and Artie's asking, you know, Artie's like, Man, my dad wants me to run his restaurant. And Tony's like, and he turns to Tony, he's like, What about your dad? What is he making you do? And he's like, My dad wants me to rob your dad's restaurant. Um, so it was done in a way that was like still kind of like funny, but it wasn't like whoa. And I just thought like the setting of Holston's because um Alan Taylor confirmed that 
Tony Soprano did end up getting killed in the final scene there in the Sopranos. So it was kind of interesting to see a 10-year-old Tony Sopranos like contemplating life in front of the place where his life ends. So oh. like I said, in of itself, it 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 embodied that. And um, you know, the characters that we all know and love, uh Silvio's hair. You know, when I first started watching Sopranos way back when in like the year in like 2000, because I think I jumped in in like season two because I kept on seeing the posters everywhere for it. And Steven Van Zandt's like that hairpiece all throughout the series. I was just like, there's something about that hairpiece. Like, what is what is going on? And it comes out like he was bald. And, you know, Paulie Walnuts. Everybody know knows the famous meme of him like sunbathing in front of Satriales. Uh his metrosexuality, you know, his his he keeping up with appearances thing was alluded to in a series where he he I guess he just got a manicure and he had to um you know use his palms to like uh turn a page or something like that. I forgot what it was. I thought that was a cool illusion. And then the famous story that uh Janice told um during Tony, you know, when uh Carmela, Janice, uh Bobby and Tony went up to that lake house and Tony was embarrassed about it was, you know, Johnny Boy shooting through Liv's Buffon her beehive hairdo. They actually showed that in a movie. Um and when it actually happened, I thought it was a dream. Cause I thought he actually he was like, Oh, I'm gonna shoot her in the head. And I thought she but when she like screamed i realized it wasn't that um again Artie's restaurant they they alluded to that and then uh scene that was included in the final trailer um and it's it, it seemed like fan service in the trailer but then when you watch it in the movie it made a lot of sense which was a scene where um johnny boy's like coming home party from jail uh Dickie hands Christopher to Tony and he starts like crying. And soon as like Tony lets go of him, he's like, I don't know what's wrong with him. He doesn't like he's like scared of me or something. And like the old lady, I, I they never said who she was, but she was like, babies know things from the other side. So like Christopher, like the baby Christopher knew that like he would eventually meet his end, but there's a certain something I don't want to give away the movie because this whole the whole idea of the segment was to get people to see the movie and kind of like create a conversation around it. But there's a certain something in the movie where that happened, and it re you you realize that a lot of the um antagonist the 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 responsibility Tony felt towards Christopher and a lot of like the um pity he felt for him was probably unnecessary um they actually explored that a little bit in the movie um a character was mentioned but he was never seen who was Hesh Lamana who's mm. the Jewish associate of the um Soprano crime family uh who was like an advisor to Dickie and Junior and um Johnny Boy. So I, th I thought that was cool. I love the, as a person, I watched all the episodes to pick up on the little tidbits. I, I loved it. And you know what I do? I usually go on IMDb and 
read all the trivia and stuff like that. And since it came out on Friday, it probably has a few more interesting facts that uh, I'll, I'm, I'm going to go on there and like read up. I'm wearing the shirt from the place, the, the restaurant, or wherever, where he got, got whacked. This is in Jersey, and um, the, the city, but they filmed it. But I'm, this is the shirt they, they would sell at the thing. Um, I can't think of the... There's a like a music venue right there, uh, but th- they closed off this the actual like table where like they filmed it. You have to like request take a photo there, um, and we did it of course. You know, it was, it was a big deal for us. Um, yeah, I I think it was a, it, it was a success. I I, I appreciated uh, I appreciated the. Uh, I think they needed the extra time to, you know, work it out. But um, trust me, I think something they're going to do another one because I don't know. It's just a, a Soprano story. I I don't know. I think they could do a whole little, you know, they could do a whole thing on HBO Max. Well, we'll see. Um, but yeah, that's the saint, the many saints of uh, Newark. We even bring up that, you know, Motosanti was many saints. And there was a scene in, in Sopranos where he's like, what does that mean? He's like, many saints. So um, I didn't I didn't pick that up until I, I saw it, uh, the, you know, the day before. I saw the a meme about it. But yeah, check it out. No spoilers. We didn't do any spoilers, really. We just talked about the uh, great performances of people involved, which is kind of... If you ask me, like, hey, what's Sopranos about? Great performances of great actors. All right, award of the week. We actually only have one award this week, no honorable mention. So this week's recipient gets a whole lot of word, word gets a whole lot of award, and it's, uh, you know, what comes with it all on their own. And this week's award goes to. Ellen Pompeo for bragging about undermining Denzel Washington when he directed an episode of Grey's Anatomy, which to me has been on for far too long. But I don't, you know, I, I watched like the first couple of seasons. I never really kept up with it. I'm still astonished that it's still going with really no end in sight. So good for um, Chandra Rhimes and her whole like media franchise but uh ellen pompeo jumped on a podcast and said this is a good denzel story ellen began before recalling how they'd gone at it on set after she gave another actor direction without consulting denzel first the other actor made this choice to speak very softly ellen recalled and Meredith, which is her character, was pissed that she had to sit there and listen to this apology, and he wasn't looking at her, he wasn't looking at her in the eye. So I yelled at him. I was like, "Look at me when you apologize. Look at me," she said, and that wasn't in the dialogue. And Denzel went ham on my ass. Claims Ellen Pompeo. Denzel was like. I'm the director. Don't you tell him what to do. And I was like, uh, Ellen Pompeo said, I was like, listen, motherfucker, this is my show. This is my set. Who are you telling? 
like you barely know where the bathroom is. And then his wife came to the set and I was not talking to Denzel. I was mad at him. I told his wife that he yelled at me that day and I'm not okay with him and I'm not okay. I'm not looking at him and I'm not talking to him. Ellen added that she has the utmost respect for Denzel as an actor and director and called the whole exchange an an amazing experience. She said, we didn't get through the, we didn't get through it without a fight. That's actors for you, passionate and fiery. And that's where you get the good stuff. So it was an amazing experience. It really was. So it was like basically like this humble brag that she cussed out Denzel Washington. She basically undermined him. Um, if you hire somebody, you know, if I was, I, 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 I tweeted, I was like, you know, if I was Denzel, I would have just took my best supporting actor award, um, Oscar for, um, glory and then mm-hmm. take my best actor for training day and put them both over my ear and just let her keep talking because clearly I know a lot more about acting than you do. And I'm an accomplished actor and I'm a multi, um, nominated, um academy award nominee in acting so i would know a thing or two about acting so and all she is basically this chick that's been starring in the show that as i said before has been going on for far too long and it was just uh disturbing to hear somebody just bragging about like undermining somebody because i'm like if it's your show why don't you direct it yourself why didn't they choose you to direct the episode you know if he if he wanted it to be, if you wanted it to be ad-libbed, like, you know, discuss that with him first. Don't do it on your own. And it really isn't his place. I mean, it really isn't his responsibility to go out of his way and discuss things with you first. Because that also breathes on to, because he's not just directing you. He's directing um, the other actor. He's directing other actors and other scenes. He's directing the crew, the camera operator, the DP the you know all these different things that's going on so if you start undermining him why would anybody else listen to him i mean i guess other people would probably be like well it's denzel why would i not listen to him yeah, i don't think that's humble brag i think that's like it's just demeaning you know like a, a respect where it's like i've been here before trust me and uh, that, that, that came off like because i i'm only hearing it from you but that sounded like it was like someone like talking shit like for no reason yeah, and that has been award of the week. So, Mike, final thoughts this week? All right. So it was a good day, good day in our neck of the woods with um, our teams. You know, we have the Giants, Yankees, but it's sort of like, all right, you got it done. Okay, Tuesday with the Yankees, and then we have. Um, you know, just see where it goes with the Giants. What I wanted to say before about uh, the new eras, um, we have post-Eli era, uh, you know, post-Coughlin era, not going, you know, it's not going, it's happened before in the late 90s. When I first started watching the Giants, it was late 90s before uh, Kerry Collins. So they thought it was going to go, Vermeil and all that, they, they were like, they were going full throttle on that. And then out of nowhere, it just changed. And they made the Super Bowl in 2000, 
uh, well, 2000, 2001, January or February. So uh, I, I'm still just hoping for the best. But with the Yankees, we've talked about this before where it's four, it's four years now where 2017, we thought like, these are, you know, this was the era. So, you know, we said we weren't going to talk about stats and like numbers. The story of the Giants and Yankees right now is uncertainty where it's, where are we going? Because the Giants had a drought after their successful 50s. There was 20 years. Like My dad was like, he tells me about like, it was like Giants were, you know, a joke for 25 years. That's a long time. And I don't want to deal with that, you know, but I'm always going to be um, Giants. I was going to be Yankees. Um, I just want to do an update on our videos. Um, Shug, I, I really appreciated your story time. Uh, Grandma's house. Uh, I've had, you know, similar stories with it. And so please check out our YouTube with that. Also, there are going to be um, some clips popping up on our Instagram, on our Twitter and YouTube by Norm McDonald. They did a, a SNL's debut, the new season. I think it's like season 46 already. Um, they had a, a, a tribute to Norm McDonald. And during the day today, I was watching a bunch of uh, Norm McDonald, the, the, the sports show. Um, and I remember watching it. It was 10 years ago already. I can't believe it, but um, it aged well. You know, some things were a little kind of crass, but it aged well. So please check that out. Um, with the many saints of Newark, um, I, I'm glad it came out finally. Um, Sparnos is, is a very, like, it's a guy, it's on the same level as like Seinfeld to me because it's not just a show where I'm watching it. It's like me talking to other people about the show. And if you go on like on social media, people will still love it and everything. But with my family, you know, there's like relatable things that people don't even like pick up on, like weird like New York stuff. But you know, very, you know, we're very local, you know, we're trying to be more global one day. Um, but you know, I I I suggest everyone check it out. Uh, I'm actually gonna rewatch it again with someone else. So I'll, I'll try to I'll try to pick up on other things and maybe. I'll have like a second opinion on it um, next week. Um, but, uh, you know, with the NBA also, um, there's some things you have to do when you like work for a company or you live in a society and you, uh, you agree on it. And it's the bottom line. You know, it's like the Stone Cold said, it's the bottom line where society you have to follow some rules and stuff vaccination i get it where you know it's like oh my body and everything but if you live in you you live around other people um the thing that we're missing is compromise you know so that's it uh the next episode will be more like cheerful but like you know i don't want to be so like down on people that are dead don't want to be vaccinated because i understand that people are like uh, fearful of certain things but like shug you, you mentioned many times before don't go to the supermarket and fda like you know you trust that 
like you don't trust this, you, but like you're making a point out of it. You know, you mentioned that before. So that's my final thoughts. Right. Oh, yeah. Many saints of Newark. Like if you're, uh, if you've watched The Sopranos, I've always, I've regarded Sopranos as the greatest family drama in the history of television. As far as I'm concerned, I'm sure there's been more series that I've not seen. Um, but of the series I've seen, it's always been one of my favorites. I remember when I was in college, uh, it was on A and E, mm. and I used to. Uh, in the afternoons around four o'clock, so I go to the the little um the cafeteria, pick up a hoagie, um go back to my room and watch it. But obviously it was like sanitized because it was on regular ass TV. So then my boy Ferdy, shout out Ferdy if you're, you're listening, um he actually had the whole series on like a, um on his flat on his hard drive. So he passed that on to me and I was able to just every day come home and watch I mean come back to my dorm and watch episodes of Sopranos um and since it ended I always was hoping that there would be some kind of continuation I think the many states of Newark like it leaves a little bit of room um for it to a little bit of room for for them to explore different things that have been discussed on the um on the Sopranos series, but they didn't get to in the series in in the movie. Um, you know Tony B, who was always like an intriguing character to me, played by Steve Buscemi. He was like mentioned, but he was not seen. So maybe if they decide to do something else, also didn't really get to talk about Michael Gandolfini. Um, in in the segment, um. Although he was great, he said he never watched The Sopranos before doing this movie. Um, for whatever reason, you know, like Mike said, he was like eight years old when it ended. So, or or towards the end, he was in like middle school. So he probably didn't really have a lot of interest, which I think worked because the Tony Soprano in the movie um, wasn't meant to be the Tony Soprano that his father played. It was just Tony Soprano before all of that like somebody who hadn't seen their future so to speak mm. and i thought he did he he had that note so all the actors were definitely great um the young lady that played the um the uh italian um Umad, whatever yeah, she, girlfriend she, yeah she was great in it too um i thought her scenes she like she she was grabbing a lot of scenes um so yeah check it out it's on hbo max if you don't want to go to the movies but it's also in the movies um you know with the vaccination like i think people need to understand that this was the way that society is gonna go and i think a lot of people were able to freely go out and get vaccinated from the time that the vaccine was first um distributed and have chosen not to and i think that's when mandates or certain um repercussions would be faced by people i know in here in new york the teachers right now that's like a contentious thing a lot of teachers who aren't vaccinated ended up losing their job the other day and guess what the supreme court held that up but i think we all knew this was the route that society was gonna go that there's gonna be in order for us to get through this thing and reach a point of normalcy again that there will be certain things or certain 
opportunities that would be taken away from people, certain um, luxuries, you know, people wouldn't be able to take part in. And that's just a life. And it's just going to be interesting to see if some of these NBA players, they really, um, the ones not in New York, if they really do sit out games when they come to New York or San Francisco or different places that um, require um, mandates and such and such. Um, But in Kyrie Irving's case, like, would he really miss, you know, half the season? Um, Would he really miss, you know, all of Brooklyn's home playoff games? Or if they played the Knicks in the playoffs, would you miss all of those games? Because they're all going to be played in New York. You know, it's going to be interesting to see if people really – you know, if you feel so strongly about it, then really, like, you know, you put your money where your mouth is. Um, as far as everything goes, you know, YouTube channel, we're always putting stuff up. Um, I don't know if the people who've been watching or been listening to us, you remember we did Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Guess what? Those are going to start to come out pretty soon. We're going to start. Those, those are coming out pretty soon. Just be on the lookout for that. I'll, everything um you could always expect content content to be put out on our youtube channel um because we have so much of it and i'm gonna keep working on it of course you know sugar reviews the brews every week um if there's story times i could put out putting them out segments give you know video uh visual version of those i'm always gonna put them out um but go get vaccinated you know, we're not going to pitch posh anymore. Go get vaccinated. This has been episode 70 of Shug Me The Mooney. Shug Me The Mooney. Shug Me The Mooney.